There was another uh, intern that, that I made a very bad mistake with, and um, he's out in California now. I know once in a while he listens to us, and so Joel, if you're listening, um, accept my apology one more time. Um, it's important that you know where you're running. Joel was a young man in my youth ministry. This is back a long, long time ago. You, you can be assured that I would never do something like this again, okay? I was a young just foolish young man back then, okay? That's my just lead up to this little story. So Joel, some of you remember Joel. Um, Joel was here years ago interning, and he's now out in California, as I already said. But he was probably about a freshman in high school, and I was a youth pastor. And um, this one day, we decided to play this little game, okay? Now, if we do not want a game like this to happen in our youth ministry, okay, another little clarification. We don't do this kind of stuff here, all right? But this was a bad moment, okay? And this is how the game worked. Um, we, would, we would try to tie people's hands behind their back, okay, and see if they could break loose. Now, that's like a fun game, right? You know, it's just like a magician act, you know, can I get away, that kind of thing, all right? And so, um, now we weren't using, you know, any kind of materials that would hurt anybody. This was a very safe activity as long as people followed my clear instructions. So, this is what happened. So Joel was next, okay? You know, we start out with little, simple, little knots and people untie it. And I got away. Ah, clap, everybody applauds, okay? Well, now it's Joel's turn. And I happened to that day, I mean, I just really, I kind of wanted to sort of do something mean to Joel, you know, just, just, just wanted to get him back. Okay. And so I tied him really, really tight with his arms behind him. All right. It took a long time to do it. And the whole time, like I can just tell Joel was like busting. He wants to try to get away and so forth. And after I tied the knot, I would never do this again. Okay. You get parents, this is never going to happen again. All right. The, the lessons were learned on this particular day. So I had Joel's hands tied behind his back firmly. He could never get away. And I said, okay, Joel, break loose. And he tries a little bit to get away. He can't quite get away. And then you see this look in his eye, this wild look in his eye, okay? And I don't know what he's going to do, but I know it's not going to go well. And all of a sudden, I don't know why, Joel takes off running across a crowded room, Okay? He runs as fast as he can. And, and Joel was, you know, he's a big guy. And he's running as hard as he can. Hands tied behind his back. Okay? Running as fast as he can. And to make it even worse, he's laughing. Okay? Because he's getting away. And to make it even worse, he's looking back at us as he's running forward. So hands tied behind his back. Not looking forward. Not paying attention across a crowded room of teenagers. Tell me, what's a teenager going to do? Yes! So as he's running across the room, somebody at the last minute puts their foot out, okay, and sticks their foot out right in front of Joel. He hits their legs and goes flying in the air. And for that moment, time stood still. Just for a moment. He's kind of in the air, okay, hands tied behind his back, (laughs) laughing in slow motion, careening across the floor. He's now horizontal, okay, parallel to the ground, face, amazingly, when you tip somebody over, their face goes first. It's a weird thing, okay, if you fall, your face goes, 
no hands, can't put them out. You know what his face did? Kind of went, slid, oh, across the carpet. Yes, carpet burn down the side of his face for like two months. Remember, Joel, as you're listening? For like two months, he had this huge scab across. And I'd have to look out on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Hey, Joel, nice scab. It's important that you know where you're headed, right? He, he, I mean, a lot, of bad, a lot of bad decisions were made on that evening. But one of them was, honestly, he's turning around. So really, I have no blame in this, okay? It was totally his fault. Now, why did I bring up that stupid story? Because we as Centerpoint Bible Church, we need to run. We need to know where we're running. We need to know why we're running. We need to know what we're running for. I want to remind you, Today, I want to remind you of basic truths of who we are as believers and what we know to be true as followers of Christ. I want to remind you of who we are as a church and how we even started as a church. And I want to remind you of what it is we want to see God do through this body of believers. It was the fall of 2006 when the idea of Centerpoint Bible Church was born and happened just on the other side of this wall. That fall, my children were coming here for middle school. We had been homeschooling prior to that, and they were, they were now coming to Spring Mills Middle School. As I recall, we had a sixth and a seventh grader, and they were coming to the school, and we were quite nervous as a family. And they had a parent-child sort of information meeting, okay? You know, one of these meetings that they do at all schools here at the school. Now, I was a youth pastor in the area at the time, an independent Bible church, and loved what I was doing. And honestly, probably in a little bit of, a little bit of pride, had a, had a high view of the ministry that we were having. In my mind, independent Bible church was touching every single person in Berkeley County and the surrounding area. You know, pastors get a little prideful sometimes. And that's how I viewed us, like we were just reaching the world. Well, on that August evening, I came here to Spring Mills Middle School. The meeting was supposed to start at 6.30. I arrived at 6, oddly enough. And on that particular night, I was the very first person, very first parent here. There were faculty members, there were, there were principals and so forth, but I was the first parent And I came in the gymnasium and sat on those very bleachers where some of you were sitting this morning, teens getting ready for focus hour. I sat right there at the first seat. I happened to sit down and sat there and waited. And as I sat there, I saw literally every single family that was part of the Spring Mills Middle School walk past me. Every single one. I was the first person there. I was sitting right at the door, and they all walked by me, every single one. And this is what occurred to me. I didn't know not one of them personally. Not one person who came through that door that night was part of our church. Not one. This was the fastest growing part of our community. At the time, Walmart was being worked on. 
Walmart had done their homework. This was the area of the county that was going to explode. And I had been a youth pastor at Independent Bible Church for, I don't know, what it was, six, seven, eight years at the time. And I knew all the families. As a matter of fact, by that time, I was called the family pastor at this large church. And I didn't know not one single family as they came through the door. And God prodded my heart. I'm telling you, I didn't hear any voice. There was no writing on the wall, okay? Nobody, no, no spirit appeared to me. But in my gut, I knew that God needed to plant a church in the Spring Mills community. He was bringing people here. There was rumor of a new high school that was going to be built. There was a brand new elementary school that was right here. There were just scores of people, hundreds of people, right, right across the way at this soccer field every Saturday morning. God needed to plant a church here. And I thought, Lord, could I be part of that? Could I be part of what you're doing? And folks, over the last nine years, we've seen people. We've seen people respond to that same call and invest their lives in reaching this community. It's not about this school. It's not about just the students that are here. It's not about, it's not about, it's nothing like that. It's, it's the population center that this represents. It's the people in the surrounding areas that really this represents that God has placed us here. I say I want us to be the epicenter of what God is doing in the Spring Mills community. It's, it continues to grow. It continues to expand. People are still coming to the Martinsburg area. I don't get it. I know. If you've lived here all your life, you're like, what are they doing coming here? I don't know. It has something to do with that big road that goes through the middle of our county. But God is bringing people here. And he's going to reach them. He's going to reach them with the gospel. He's going to grow them in him. He's going to work in their lives. And it's my joy to be part of that, just a small part, just a tool that God reaches down into his toolbox and says, yeah, I'll grab this one, and happens to use you. I saw it last night. I saw it last night when there were a group that we were setting up, just going through the, the, the enjoyable 45 minutes to transfer this place from a cafeteria to a worship room. I see people down the hallway setting up the classrooms to teach children about Jesus. I see people setting up the corner back here for adults to sit down and talk about how they can have intimacy with Christ. You see, God is doing a work, and he's allowing us to be part of it. And so after the focus hour this morning, I, I talked with teachers who taught our children it was, was just beaming with excitement. You know why? Because they told other people about Christ. And their lesson worked. They reached somebody. God prodded them forward in chasing after Christ. And then I see people that are joining in our church that are saying, this is my church. This is where I come on Sunday mornings. This is who I am. I'm going to be part of this. Oh, people up here, been attending for a year or so. And they say, yeah, I'm, I'm here. 
I want to serve. I want to be part of what God is doing. And I stand with us and we, we sing praises to God. We worship him. My voice isn't pretty. It's not nice. You don't want me to hold a mic when I sing. I promise you that. But God is pleased by our heart because we worship him in spirit and truth. And now I stand before a group of people that I know are waiting for me to tell them where to turn in their Bible. You're waiting. Because you're going to read God's word. And you're going to understand it. And you come with a heart that says, God, teach me. Show me what it is you want to work in my life. Folks, we're blessed. We're blessed. And you need to know, this is unique. It's unique. When you're in the middle of it, when you live here, when you're always, when, when this is just where you're at all the time, you lose touch with the fact that this is a different kind of church. It's different. And if you, lose, if you lose touch with the uniqueness of a place where God's word is honored, where God's people try to show love to one another, we're not perfect. We're, not, we're far from it. Nobody knows that better than me, okay? Nobody. I promise you, nobody at the end of our service, there's nobody in this room who runs through what we just did for an hour and 15 minutes with a finer tooth comb than me. I'm very aware of all of our weaknesses. But I'm telling you, it's something unique. It's something unique. And it's God. It's not me, I promise you that. It's not you. It is God in his spirit is working. And we need to know, we need to know what we're running after. So open up your Bible with me to Romans chapter 1. And let's look at two verses today as we have time and evaluate what it is we're running after, what it is that we're chasing. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he shares what it is that's driving him. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, let's read through this. Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Tremendous couple of verses in a tremendous book of our Bible. You, in many ways, these two verses are the, the theme of Romans and in many ways, almost the theme of the New Testament. These two verses come with a, with a large history behind them. Here in October, you may not know this, but we're getting ready to celebrate the 500th anniversary of really the beginning, in many ways, of the Reformation. When Martin Luther understood the gospel. And let me read to you what he said about this very verse. He's got a quote for you. He said this. 
That expression, the righteousness of God, see it there in verse 17? This is Martin Luther. He writes, that expression, the righteousness of God was like a thunderbolt in my heart. Before, he writes, I hated Paul with all of my heart when I read that righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. It was only afterward when I saw the words that follow, namely that the righteous shall live by faith, that I was cheered. When I learned that the righteousness of God is his mercy and that he makes us righteous through it, that a remedy was offered to me in my affliction. Folks, God has set you free from sin, and that's something to celebrate. Nine years is pretty cool. Victory over sin, relationship with God, that we are in Christ, that is what we celebrate. And so I want to just make three statements from this passage about who we are in Christ and what we have to share. And the first one is this, that the gospel is good enough to share. The gospel is good enough to share. Let's talk about that for a minute. Gospel. The word gospel means good news. Good news. That's what it simply means. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm finding myself to be so cynical with news. Immediately when I hear something on the news now, whether television or internet or or newspaper, whatever, my immediate thought is, yeah, well, is that true? Is that really true? We are are being so hammered with this idea of fake news. That's fake news. That's fake news. Listen, that's not what this is. This is good news. This is the good news. The gospel. And Paul says, I will not be ashamed of it. I will not be ashamed of it. Now this word ashamed, it means to shrink back. It means to be distracted. It means to be dis, it means disillusioned. When you're ashamed of something, you shrink back. And, and you, you get distracted from it. And you grow disillusioned with it. And folks, that's not what we should be with the gospel. We must remember what God has done. I love Daniel 11.32. Listen to what it says. Daniel Daniel 11.32, an Old Testament prophet who says this. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Do you know your God? Listen, Centerpoint Bible Church is here. It is here because of the gospel. You are here. If you are in Christ... You are still here because God has a purpose for you and that purpose centers around the gospel. It's not your career. It's not your home. It's not your marriage. It's not your children. That's not what it is. That's not why God has you here. Those are great little perks that as a loving father, God may choose to bring your way. It's not promised. But what you are here for is that the gospel may be proclaimed. And you need to know, I don't simply mean, hear me on this, this is very important for the rest of our time together. I don't simply mean, when I say the gospel, the good news, I'm not simply talking about you walking up to an absolute stranger and saying, if you die today, do you know you will spend eternity? Too many of us, that's what we think the gospel, that's all the gospel is. 
We think it's simply this awkward conversation that I might have with somebody where I try to beat them down with, with truth. Folks, what I'm saying right now is the gospel. This is the good news. And I'm not saying it to unbelievers. I'm saying it to you and to me. This is the gospel. The good news of what God has done. And it is to be proclaimed to all peoples. To all peoples. And we will not be ashamed. And be careful of efforts to kind of make it more palatable to the tongue, to the taste. Be careful of this. Because the gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Know that to be true. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. I think I have it for your screen. Look what it says. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The message of the gospel is offensive to everyone outside of Christ. You need to know that. If you're waiting for that time when, when the truth of who God is and what he is doing will be acceptable to just everybody, you're going to wait all day, all night, all the rest of your life. It is offensive to people. Oh, how, what's offensive about it? Let me just take a minute and explain that. Let's take the Jews. To the Jews, and they really represent, they represent religious people. They, they represent theists who aren't Christians. People who believe in a God, but they are not followers of Jesus. And it is offensive to them. Well, how could the gospel be offensive to someone who believes in God? What's offensive about it is this. That God became a man and died a wicked death, nailed to a tree, to a, to a cross, nailed there and hung there naked till he died and bled out his life. Tell a theist that. Tell a Muslim that Allah became a man and died. It's offensive. It's offensive to the Jews. It's offensive to the theist who aren't Christians that God would become a man and die. What about the Gentiles? The Gentiles, they, they represent the intelligenta. They, they represent the, the, the smart people, the wise people. It's offensive to, to, the, to the humanist because the gospel says you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do you can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't be the right family. There's nothing you can do. We come to the cross with nothing on our behalf. We come to the cross with nothing to offer God. And that's offensive. But to those who have come to Christ, to those who are called, it is the power of God. The gospel is offensive to those outside of Christ. But to us, it is the power of God. Don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. There will be opportunity. There is opportunity. Somebody said earlier in our service today, might have been me, I forget now, 
the world is just, just in turmoil. In turmoil. People are throwing up their hands. They don't know what to do. We need to bring the truth to bear and not be ashamed of the gospel. Moving on, what else does the gospel say and and what else does Paul proclaim? Well, the next thing I want you to see is our God is powerful enough to save. Our God is powerful enough to save. Look what it says in verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I do not shrink back from the good news that God has proclaimed. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God. Now this is, an, this is a word that means not only potential power, but actual power. And the amazing thing about God is God's power, we see it. We see it in hurricanes. We see it in earthquakes. We can see it there. But do not miss don't, don't misstep here. God's power is not about destruction. God's power is about creation and recreation. Oh, God's power is on display right now in Florida. There's no doubt about it. But greater than that is this power that Paul writes about. Look what he says. The gospel is the power of God. It is changed Lives. It is new creatures that is displaying the very power of God. This, a comparison is made in 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what, look what Paul writes here. It's on the screen, I believe. It says, For God, who said, let, shine, let light shine out of darkness. Now, when was it that God said, Let light shine out of darkness? In your mind, you're thinking, Well, that's creation. And you're right. That's a great power of God, that God spoke and all of this existed. I mean, it's amazing. It's it's, it's a wonder. We we can't even even begin to explain it. We make up all kinds of things to try to explain that. And that's powerful. But see see what the Apostle Paul does here to try to bring this truth to us. He says, for God who said that, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, you're impressed, and you should be, that God spoke and, and there was everything. You should be impressed by that. But he goes on to say, no, no, no. There's more than that. God has done this work in that he has shown this light in our hearts and we can now understand the glory of God through Christ. The power of God. Let me tell you something else that's offensive about this. Listen to how offensive this is. Look back at the passage. It says, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now the point I'm trying to make is our God is powerful enough to save. But I want us to realize that you and I needed saved can you, can you just allow me to walk us through this idea that you and I needed saved? Let me tell you what you were saved from, okay? First of all, 1 Timothy 4 says you were saved from your own self. Saved from your own self. Acts 2 says that we were saved from a crooked generation. 
We're saved from the darkness of cults. We're saved from lostness. We're saved from sin. We're saved from the deadness of Ephesians 2. We're saved from death in James 5. We're saved from the wrath of God in Romans 5. We're saved from the eternal destruction and separation from God. Man needed saved. See how offensive that is? Go up to somebody really intelligent. Go up to somebody really rich. Go up to somebody really powerful. Tell them they need saved. Have you noticed how we kind of shrink back from saying that we're saved? You don't want to say that, do you? In a conversation with somebody, you don't want to say that you're saved. It feels so offensive. Don't want to say you're born again. It feels so offensive. Don't want to say I'm a follower of Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. Feels so offensive. Yeah, you're right. Jesus on that night in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, a religious man. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. Not a teacher, the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, asking him questions. One of them is, how do we enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, you must be born again. Folks, we have to recognize this is where the power of God is, that we be born again. Romans 1, let's read it again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let me just say a word about that. That's more about chronology than priority. Okay? Jesus came to his own. His own received him not. John chapter 1. All right? So that's about chronology. He came to the Jews and they said no. So then he went to the rest of the world. That's all that is. But hear this. It's for everybody. Jew or Gentile is everyone. There's no other option, okay? The definition of Gentile is not Jew. So to the Jew and to the not Jew, that's who it is. This gospel is for everybody. It's the exclusive message of salvation. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Just I wanna I wanna end with this. We've talked about the gospel. Let's talk about our new life. We need to know today from verse 17 and from the full counsel of God, and as we live out in in our world and have influence, that the new life that God gives us, the new birth, the new creature that you are, the new life is real enough. To reflect. It's real enough to reflect. Notice what this says in this passage. In it, the gospel, God working, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Here's what's happening. God is revealing through us his righteousness. That word revealed, by the way, this is something that might, might strike you as interesting. That's the word apocalypse. Huh? That's the word apocalypse. People get all excited about the apocalypse. 
All the word apocalypse means is to reveal. It's to reveal. The book of Revelation is God revealing what he's going to do. That's what the book of Revelation means. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The revealing of Jesus Christ. You want to see what God is going to do. If you want to know what is God going to do someday in the future. Read the book of Revelation. God has revealed what he's going to do. But God reveals through us what he is doing. Do you see this? The righteousness of God is revealed. Where? Us. The righteousness of God is revealed now. From faith for faith. What's that saying? You respond to the gospel by faith. This work of God in your life that you responded by faith. God gave you a gift of faith. And you believed the gospel. You believed that he was your savior. You believed that he is Lord. And you surrendered your life to him. And now as followers of him, we continue to live by faith. We continue to live by faith. And it says here that the righteous shall live by faith. And when you and I live out this gospel, our lives are an apocalypse of who God is. Awesome truth for us, Centerpoint Bible Church. You see, the world around us is in turmoil. Not just this week because of storms, because of hurricanes, because of earthquakes. Do not be misled. The whole world, everyone you know, is in turmoil. Every person you meet has a private moment of turmoil going on every single day. You do, don't you? Right? Could we not walk you up here, hand you the mic, and say, tell us what's turmoil in your life? And every single person here could say something. Your family, your, your employment, your, what, you're all, we're, all, we're all in turmoil. If you say, well, I'm not, I'm not low. Wait, wait, it'll be there tomorrow. Don't worry, okay? Jesus said, in this life... There will be tribulation. But he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And you will overcome. So as we live out this gospel that God has worked and worked in us. And that Jesus has given us this righteousness. And we now live out that righteousness in the world. In the middle of the turmoil There you stand. There you stand. The world watches. The Spirit of God indwells you. And He is revealing to the world around who He is. So, how do you come to Him? Well, there's a story in Luke chapter 18 that Jesus tells. It might be worthwhile to turn there real quick. This is fast, I promise you. Luke chapter 18 is this awesome, awesome story. There's just two guys who come to, who come to worship. Two guys who come to worship. One will leave righteous and one will leave offended. 
First, the Pharisee comes. He's the religious man. The gospel offends him. It offends him because it makes God a man dying on a cross. So it offends him. And he stands there before worship opportunity and says, Oh God, I'm so thankful that I'm so great. I'm so thankful that I'm so, what? I'm better than this guy. Look at me, God. And then off in the corner is the tax collector. And that's me. And that's you. That's you in the story. You're not the great. You're not the mighty. You're not the wise. We're the tax collector. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Verse 13. But beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, he went down to his house. Now your Bible says justified, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a worthy translation. But you know how she could translate that? Made righteous. Made righteous. God makes sinners righteous. It is the gospel. He makes sinners righteous. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gospel, Lord. Thank you for your good news. It is good enough to share. And Lord, you are powerful enough to save. You, Lord Jesus, for us, the power of what you're doing. Father, I pray that we would look to you, the author, the perfecter of our faith, Lord, and we would build our lives upon you, for nothing else will stand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.